Welcome to Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that exists to challenge our assumptions about faith and move the average Christian from status quo into boldness in action. I'm your host, Emily Luttrell. And I'm Ben Stewart. And with us today is Will Barnes. Hello, everybody. What's up, Will? We have some very exciting and not at all controversial things to talk about later. As always, very simple topics. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll just be an easy breezy. But even before then, Ben... What, what have you got for us to start? Okay, so spoiler alert, the topic that we're talking about here in a few minutes is scripture. Mm. It's related to scripture. And so I was thinking about what fun little icebreaker question could I have? And since we all grew up in evangelical backgrounds, for the most part, in yeah. different ways, um, I was thinking, okay, when you were like six, your six-year-old self... Okay. What was a biblical character that you're that you would like dress up as or pretend <laughs> to be or be like that's like I want to be that person or mm. something of that nature? Daniel. Oh, Daniel okay. Lyons. You, you were ready. I was yeah. No, no, no. I had we had this little book at home. It was a little book on just like Bible stories and I found the the little story of Daniel in the lion's den just so uh so fascinating. Was it because you wanted to be in the den with those lions? I think I liked like animals a lot. Yeah. And I just wanted to be around, uh, you know, I thought it'd be cool to be in a room with lions without the threat of them eating me. Right. And so I, uh, yeah, I, I think, I, and I was, so I, I grew up in the house and kind of think about myself in the lions den or I'd be outside. Yeah. We had these cats that would come in, like in the neighborhood. Yeah. And I'd like sit outside on the back porch <laughs> and the cats would come up. Yeah. And yeah. I'd like, you know, imagine play that I'm in a lion's den with these neighborhood <laughs> so feral cats. If you had the opportunity today as a uh-huh. grown adult male sure. to step into a cage with lions in some sort of semi-safe way, would you do it? I already have my friend and oh I would do gosh. it again. What? I didn't know it. This is this literal is, lions. Okay, we're taking well, a left turn on the podcast. Technically today. it's mountain lions. Does that count? I mean, even better. There are lions in the mountain. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, golly, my dad had a friend who had a pet mountain lion. Okay, that's um, a normal thing to yeah, say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we were over at the house one day, and he asked if he wanted to feed it, and um, that's awesome. He got some steak out of the fridge, and we walked into this massive, like, outdoor uh, cage that he had. He had a tunnel that went from the cage into his house, uh, so the cat could go outside and into his like large open arena, or come inside, and he would like hang out on the couch and sleep in the bed and stuff but when when company was there the cat was outside but if you wanted to go see it you you know uh, it was very tame very you know anyway i i gave it a steak and i was inside this big cage i feel like it says a lion. lot about a person when they have a tunnel this is the only thing i want to talk about for the rest of the day <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of when you say tunnel it was a caged tunnel so it wasn't like a you know like an underground tunnel okay. okay it was an above ground um uh you know um arc of netting and caging that right. went along the ground, you know, and and so it was a tunnel on yeah. top of the ground, yeah. uh, th- almost like a dog agility course, but not a circle, right, you know, right, like, right, like right. you know, yeah. And so, um, yeah, just a bunch of little, um, you know, connectors with fencing in between them, and made a little tunnel to the house. And I don't, I think it was, um, it was some sort of a uh, opening that was installed. He had like, almost like a sliding door, kind of like you would have with a like a doggy door or something, yeah. so he could close it, and that would keep the. The mountain lion outside. I don't remember that mountain lion's name. That was my next question. <laughs> I don't remember the name. Yeah. So, Daniel. So, yeah, there I would we be go. Daniel. <laughs> Emily, I'm so glad I get to ask you next. Like, how do you follow that up? Do you I have can't. Any? 
Well, I mean, I like, I don't think I even you have to say like Shadrach or something like that. And then tell us a story yeah. about how you got thrown in the fire and <laughs> escaped or yeah, I no. don't know. No, I, um, I, I'm having a hard time coming up with an answer to this question. I was very much the, the kind of kid who like in any show or group, there's like the girl character. I'm like, that one's me. Right. Like I wanted to be the pink power ranger. I wanted to be like, mm. you know, yep. the girl yep. in each one. And so it's like, okay, so my options are like the Virgin Mary <laughs> or like I mean, Ruth. <laughs> None of them were like, it's Deborah, you know, yeah, Deborah. yeah. That's wielding true. it. Yeah. yeah, none of none of the uh, characters that I identified with were very exciting to me mm-hmm. as a as a six year old. Now, you know, I would be honored uh, <laughs> to be a Naomi or um, or a Lydia. But like, no. I wonder if that speaks to how how Scripture was represented growing up, and whether the female characters of the oh, Bible were see. So we're already connecting. We this can't get into the real topic sorry, yet. This is sorry, this is good. This is just jumping the yeah. jumping the gun okay. here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember having some characters like we did. I, I grew up in one of those churches that did harvest parties at Halloween mm-hmm. instead of Halloween parties. Sure. So you'd always have to dress up, you know, mm-hmm. but everybody looked the same. Like the outfits were all the same. They're just like brown robes, no matter <laughs> what gender you were. Old Testament character, New Testament characters, just like, I guess they all wore brown robes. So mm-hmm. I remember <laughs> being David a lot. I, you know, mm-hmm. David's yeah. sort of a go to kill the giant. Yeah. No. All that sort of stuff. Solid. So, yeah. yeah. Solid character. Well, there you go. Now we know. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up in evangelical churches, one thing that I heard over and over is that the number one way to deepen your faith is by studying scripture, or that the most important thing you could do is a daily devotion. And usually this is implemented as spend time every day reading the Bible by yourself and then apply it, it to your life. And it's presented as something that should be really simple and accessible. But the Bible is not really a simple book. Biblical studies is its own academic field. You can major in it in a university. And if you wanted to do that at the university where I attended, you were required to study two different foreign languages. It doesn't sound like a book that's very accessible for most people. And a surface-level reading without a deeper understanding of its form and context can lead to confusion, frustration, and eventually apathy. The Bible is necessary to understanding our faith as Christians and our history as the church, but it's also a complicated book and it's full of stories that are difficult to wrap your head around, especially if you're told somehow that it's a historical document, a poetry collection, a self-help guide, an instruction manual, and also includes everything you could possibly need to know in order to live a good life. And it can be hard to have frank conversations about any of this because it is an incredibly touchy subject for most people. But today, we are talking about it, and we're talking about it with our partner church, Pastor Will Barnes, and we're asking questions like, what do we need to know about the Bible in order to understand it? Do we have to believe that scripture is inerrant or literal in order to consider ourselves Christians? Does God contradict himself in his word? And are there questions we should be asking but aren't? So, like Emily said at the top of the podcast, just some light topics of conversation here, and we are so glad Will, that you'll be joining us to bring so much clarity and... <laughs> we're going to answer all these questions, That's right? right. That's why we're asking them. Yep. Mm. Um, no, but in all seriousness, it is great to have you, Will. And just by way of introduction and some context for the listener, uh, there's a few different ways in which you are connected to us uh, mm. here at Uncharted. Like Emily said uh, in the intro, that you're the church that you help lead, Sojourn Church. Mm-hmm. 
here in the city of Evansville is a partner officially of Uncharted, which is awesome. And we thank you for that. Um, but even more importantly, there's just a great friendship and camaraderie and connection on a personal level. Everything from uh, certainly kingdom perspective and and sort of a missional mindset to sitting around fires and smoking stogies and talking <laughs> about motorcycles. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to the fact that Will is a uh, a triumph rider like myself. Mm. So there's a lot of uh, camaraderie there. Um, so yeah, there's a, just some great connection. And when we're sitting around those fires, inevitably the conversation ends up in a lot of fun, robust theological conversation, which I've really enjoyed. <laughs> oh, thank you. And so that's part of what's led to this moment as Emily and I were talking about some of the topics for this year. Um, and the top, this topic of scripture came up. Mm. thinking on some of our conversations, I thought, oh, it'd be fun to have Will a part of it. So again, mm. all that to say, welcome, and thanks for being a part of this. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a real honor to sit down. Yeah, it's going to be a fun conversation, which, you know, we have an outline. We have things mm -hmm. that we want to talk about, mm. but there, I'm sure there will be uh, lots of productive rabbit trails. Side trips worth taking. Exactly. <laughs> Shortcuts that make long delays. Um, <laughs> and... Um, that means that this could potentially, most likely, probably, post-editing. I mean, we're already planning on it being two episodes. Exactly. <laughs> so thanks for sticking with us as sure. we yeah. go through this. So Emily, a question I have for you is, why are we talking about this here on the Unsettled Perspectives podcast? Why was this something that you felt like, we felt like, was good for us to tackle as a topic? Well, Ben, thanks for asking me that question without prepping me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think the reason we wanted to talk about it is because in a lot of ways, obviously, scripture interpretation is maybe the thing that impacts our lives the most as Christians in the sense of like what we believe about scripture um, influences our behaviors a lot and what we think Christian, the Christian life should look like and how to tell if you are walking closely with God or far away from God. And it's also a topic that a lot of people get really angry about, which so we were like perfect for us to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it is it is really important to mm -hmm. to people as they consider their faith, but it's really complicated. And so I think we wanted to talk about it because how can you really talk about what it means to um you know, move as a Christian from status quo into mm. boldness if you aren't willing to address the foundation mm. really that like at least our modern Christianity is founded upon. This is really the only thing we have mm -hmm. to teach us about Christ. Well, I mean, even that I think could be up for debate depending on who you talk to. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And well, I'd be curious your perspective. So mm. in case the listener didn't catch it, you are, I mean, you, you carry a, a few different hats vocationally. I, t I do. Occupationally diversified. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, tell us what those are just super briefly. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So my, my, uh, um, my main job at uh, Sojourn is as a teaching pastor there. Yeah. And I've, and I've been involved in Sojourn since its beginning, um, beginning as a, essentially just a, a Bible study back in 2006 okay. and uh, kind of slowly just kind of grown from there. Um, but I also, um, have a master's in clinical social work and I work as a behavior uh, specialist. Um, and 
offering mental health consultation to individuals and families and um, agencies, uh, various mental health trainings, mm. and um, usually trying to discuss issues uh, that where the diagnosis or the disorders are somewhat convoluted. Like mm. if someone has a, like maybe they're on the autism spectrum, but they also have depression and anxiety. Mm. Where does the autism stop and the depression and anxiety begin? And how do we differentiate that? So we're not just trying to medicate autism, but we're actually treating mental health. Mm. Um, and then I also, um, for the last several years, although I'm taking some time off at the moment, I, I also teach at USI as a professor in the social work department adjunct. Uh, for individual work, group work, um, um, uh, community uh, service work, and I also uh, have taught uh, a couple different versions of um, uh, research mm. for social work. So, okay, so in in hearing all of that, what I think is great about what you bring in this conversation is when it comes to scripture, this isn't just something that every week you get up on a platform, you speak from it and or about it to a group of people go back to your study closet for five and a half days and then come back out and do that again. Like you, in addition to being, you know, uh, submersed in it in terms of studying and, and unpacking and understanding and communicating, you're also living in some very real time Mm. and quite complex and situations that are full of woundedness and the the rawest of humanity Mm -hmm. you're confronted with yeah so so i would assume like that influences heavily the way that you look at scripture and view scripture and and understand and even communicate about scripture so all of that to circle around and ask you the same question that i asked emily here is why is it important to talk about this topic of scripture why is, you know, for you as someone who teaches from it, who mm-hmm. is a pastor, who preaches, but also as someone who is in the trenches with people at their lowest and in their worst, mm. um, why is it important to you? Well, there's a, uh, a, f- a few levels to that. Um, I would say that first and foremost, I, I think that it is a, a space where God speaks and um and i i as a as a tool of in some ways relational maintenance with with my savior mm. um i i want to engage in that um i also want to see what god has said to his people um over over millennia and um and see myself in some ways not as something special but just a part of god's people mm. and 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 see myself as a part of that story and uh, the Bible is, in, in, in my opinion, the, the the best synopsis of that story in in this huge, massive sweep um, that that we get to see and and reflect of how we fit into that, um, which is a, you know, I think has changed over my life as in terms of like who I see myself in the story, mm. um, and who I see to be Jesus in the stories, and uh, mm. uh, which we can talk about at some point. But but finding myself in God's story um, has been a massive. Um, uh, way of understanding what it means to 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 live faithfully as as a child of God and how that really hasn't changed much in terms of its intentions uh, but the applications maybe have changed over the centuries and millennia um, and I think that um, there's something I mean I, I think that the Bible for me is is a um, it's 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 a it's a it's a place where I'm grounded it's a place where I'm reminded of of things that um, God has said to His people, 
and and the ways that he's revealed himself to his people. And I think that I have to sit in the humility of knowing that I can't fully know God as he is in himself. I can only know who he is as he's revealed himself. Mm. And uh, the Bible is, for me, the place uh, where maybe uh, it's the most clear revelation. Um, and saying that, I realize that for many people, it's not so clear and it's sure. quite complicated. Right? <laughs> no, it's good. Hmm. So before we get into, you know, talking sp- specific questions and potential controversies, um, I feel like there are a couple terms that might be helpful to just establish whether mm. we refer to them or just kind of a basic understanding um, of different views and interpretations of scripture. And the mm. first one is hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. And that is a word I know that I know, but I don't think I could ever actually define if someone asked me to use mm. it in a sentence. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, literally like what you look, if you were to look it up it, uh, in a dictionary, it just says the branch of knowledge that deals with the interpretation of scripture. <laughs> did you just look it up? I the totally dictionary. did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had it, but yeah. Um, but so it, it, I think that is a good term to, to define a little bit though, because yeah. we'll probably mention it in passing and want to make sure when people hear that word, mm-hmm. they know what we're talking about. So that that's sort of a basic interpretation of it. Is there anything that you would add to that, Will, in the way that you use it? or Yeah, so I kind of use it in a way... Um, um, I see hermeneutics uh, as, a, as the sort of the broad approach to scripture interpretation, but I kind of define, uh, not to bring up another term, which may come up, uh, but... Uh, I kind of hold exegesis and hermeneutics kind of together as kind of two sides of a coin. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of view exegesis as the process of trying to distill what a passage meant to the people it was being written to and, and, and the original audience, the original intention mm-hmm. of, the, of the passage. And I kind of see hermeneutics as the process of, of applying those intentions for us, interpreting those intentions for us today, appropriating them. Um, although I, I, I believe hermeneutics would probably cover all of it. Um, I just tend to differentiate those two things so that people understand, um, what now we're applying it to us, which is kind of a hermeneutical exercise as opposed to just trying to understand the context and the original intention, which is sort of an exegetical exercise. Um, and I, and I, I kind of hold those two up as, um, Sort of, sort of in unison as, and I, I tend to want to do as much exegesis as possible mm-hmm. before I do hermeneutics and mm-hmm. and begin to apply it. Otherwise, things get really skewed, and you know, uh, kind of to something that was mentioned earlier. I think there's a you know an interesting um, distinction with those hermeneutics in that, you know, it's when 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 you see people um, unpacking. Um, a scripture and then they arrive at one conclusion another person arrives at, at a totally different conclusion, even on the same passage. Um, I, I find that usually it's, it's just how we are approaching that scripture, how we're reading it. And I think that hermeneutics and exegesis oftentimes get, get labeled as, as Bible study, you mm-hmm. know, kind of over here, like this is what you do when you study the Bible, you do some exegesis, you do some hermeneutics, you figure out what it meant to them. And then you figure out what it means to you um, or us collectively. Um, but in many ways, I, I think that the exegesis portion of it, uh, figuring out what it actually meant to them, who wrote it, who, mm-hmm. who, did, they, who did they write it to, why did they write it, uh, what did they hope to accomplish by writing it, mm-hmm. uh, what was the point here? I think that those those questions um, are almost imperative to answer those questions as just a part of reading scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that oftentimes I, I get asked questions about uh, how do I study this or that, mm-hmm. you know, um, or what is Bible study supposed to look like? I think that more than anything else, I would say that I think that we, we probably have lost our sense of what it means to read scripture. 
um, mm-hmm. effectively. So w- when we go to study the Bible, we're actually studying something we're not reading well. And then, and so how do we back up and actually yeah. read this in, in a way that's productive? And I think that hermeneutics and exegesis are a major part of that reading process mm-hmm. that almost seem like the deep end of the pool for people, mm-hmm. you know, and they feel like that's Bible study. And I would say that's just reading scripture yeah. mm-hmm. um, in a way that actually is helpful. Studying it, when you know, we get in like the word studies and the, the actual languages, you know, as, we, as you mentioned, um, you know, those are those are uh, things that I don't think the average person usually bothers with necessarily. But these are things that most people don't bother with. But I think that it's actually imperative to understand what it is we're reading mm-hmm. and answering these questions. Um, so we don't uh, uh, mis misconstrue what's happening um, and, and what actually is the intention of being said mm-hmm. you know, or w- w- what's being said. Mm-hmm. That's good. OK, so hermeneutics, uh, exegesis. Mm-hmm. um Probably now these the the next few terms are certainly not terms that are exclusive in uh, in the sense of like what's debated about scripture. But these next three terms are probably where a lot of the debate lies Mm -hmm. or at least eventually like it's woven into other other um, portions of conversation and debate around scripture. Mm -hmm. And that is inerrancy, infallibility and inspiration. And so, you know, people asking questions, well, is scripture, is it, is it inerrant? Is it infallible? Is it inspired? Is it all three? Is it a couple of those? Is it, you know, any, Mm -hmm. some combination. So briefly, uh, again, we could spend a lot of time probably really unpacking, um, definitions, robust definitions of those. Um, but I'll just give a cursory brief definition of them and, Emily and Will, feel free to add any thoughts um, once we get through them. I will also want to say that um, in, in my own personal preparation, and, and not just for this podcast, but even just my own like studying for this topic in particular, a book that maybe I've referenced before on other podcasts is a book called Flexible Faith, and that will be in the podca- podcast notes uh, in terms of author and where you can get in all that sort of stuff. A book I would also mention is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Yes, Gordon, Gordon Fee, Fee. And, and Stewart. Yep. Yeah. Um, so some of these uh, definitions that I'm going to read are taken from Flexible Faith because one of the nice things that this author does is she puts them in pretty, pretty great layman terms, which hmm. I appreciate. Um, so inerrant, the inerrant perspective says the Bible is without error of any kind. There you go. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Um, the infallible means believing it won't fail us on any matter of Christian faith or practice. There might be some differing views about some historical details or scientific ideas. Um, there might be some some debate around those things, but it is infallible in the sense that it won't fail us when it comes to any matter of Christian faith or practice. And then the inspiration, the inspiration idea um, is maybe a little bit less of, of a concept able to stand on its own, but it's basically the idea that uh, the Bible can contain words from God, but it isn't purely the word of God. Um, there's a lot of humanness, if you will, woven into it. Hmm. Um, so when we talk about this, these ideas of inerrancy, infallibility, inspiration, there's some brief, um, simple definitions of those. But again, 
Emily, Will, any things that you would add to those definitions? I know we're going to, that's where the bulk of our conversation will lie for a while, but anything you would add in understanding those words? I I think I kind of see the nature of scripture in a um, divine and human context in that I do see it as God's word, but I see it as God's word spoken into human history. And so those, so the human, the human piece of it um, can't be fully separated from from God's revelation. And I've also made a bit of a distinction regarding inerrancy in terms of its original intent. And in in, in the original manuscripts, in, 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 in its original intent, meaning um, to say that Scripture doesn't have an error in its original intention is very different than saying that there's no... Mm. That, you know that there's 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 nothing that you could somehow disprove mm-hmm. um, if you're taking something um, away that is different than its original intention. Yeah. You know, um, you know, for instance, if you're if you're reading um, Genesis one to try to tell you um, how God created the world, um, is that the same intention as Genesis one saying why God created mm-hmm. the world? Um, and that's a very different intentionality between right. Genesis chapter one. And so I would say that depending on how, uh, your view of the intention of those words sp- sp- from God into human history, um, what is your takeaway? And um, I, I would say that the intention is without error. Uh, but I believe that we often uh, make a significant error in misunderstanding the original intentions. Yeah, that's good. I think um so the, so maybe it's inerrant but we're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think another word that gets thrown in a lot um or sometimes a, a concept is this idea of precision. You know, we live in a culture today that's very precise. And mm, yeah. and so we when we say uh when we look at like this podcast we were recording it at 2 p.m. this afternoon, you right. know, you we expected you to show up 2 p.m. and yeah. lo and behold, you did it. Yeah. 158. You know, our culture is very precise, and yeah. we sometimes carry into scripture that same expectation mm-hmm. when we think about this idea of it's without error. So everything has to be without error, every concept. And yet yeah. you have in Mark, for example, where in one passage, uh uh Jesus is saying, You should take to his disciples, you should take these sandals and your staffs when you go on these journeys. But in Matthew, he says the opposite. So like you have a very non-precise, <laughs> uh, two different accounts of the same story. Right. And for us in our very precise culture, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, well, so. Right. I mean, another great example of that is the genealogies in Matthew and Luke. Yep. You know, they're not the same. Uh, I think Jesus's grandfather is two different people um, or something like that. Great grandfather. I don't know. You can check it out. But anyway, the, <laughs> the, the point is that um, back to intention, you know, the, right. the intention of Luke is to, is to give you a, a basic breakdown of, of, of who bore who and and how Jesus got here sort of biologically, it seems. Whereas the intention of Matthew is very clearly rooted in the Old Testament to where Jesus' claim to the throne is validated. So it's not a matter of who literally begot who as much as it is who begot the next error to the throne or error to the throne. And those are very different intentionalities between why you're laying out a genealogy to prove someone's rightful claim to the throne of David versus just literally telling you who... Who had which kid? Um, those are different. Those are different intentions. So, is there an error there, or are are we are we not seeing the point that those authors are making, or e- e- even to hold that 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 divine element, are we not seeing the point God's making 
through those two different authors. Okay, so obviously there's a lot we could unpack about each of those terms, inerrancy, infallibility, inspiration. We'll keep coming back to those and um, how they connect. I think one of the things that, Emily, you and I were talking about in preparation for this podcast, though, is this can be a conversation kind of like a, a little bit like the hell conversation that we had with Scott Clout from mm -hmm. Missoula, Montana, um, where very easily, I mean, I think we're already experiencing this, like it can turn into just a purely theologically mm. fun conversation to have, right? Mm -hmm. Which that's cool. But at the same time, it's also like, so who cares? Like, why does this matter? Mm -hmm. And to put it more maybe friendly, like what's the personalness of this conversation? Mm. And so I know that that was something you and I were talking about is, um, how does this, why does this matter to, to us personally, this conversation and a question that came out of that conversation that you and I were having, Emily, is this question of what are people talking about when mm -hmm. it comes to scripture? Yeah. Like this isn't just a, a made up talk topic that we thought would mm -hmm. be good. Like there's actually conversations happening in in families around dining room tables and church sure. small groups and on Sunday mornings, um, especially in sort of the, I hate the word trend, but in, I'll use that word for now, like this trend of the deconstruction and sure. all of that. So I'm going to ask you both the same question, but I'm going to give you time to, to think, oh, Emily. God. So I'll go to Will first. Will so you're not giving me time. That's what you're saying. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> So your perspective will, as again, a local church leader, but also a counselor, mm -hmm. uh, a professor, but then your perspective, when we come to you, Emily, um, in your circle of friends, um, in your places of, of relationship and influence and things like that. So kind of two different perspectives and experiences. Sure. What are, what are you hearing? What are people talking about? What are the, what are the questions? What are the. Um, what are some of the trends of the deconstruction challenge to scripture? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, a fundamental question is uh, coming from a significant amount of people that are just wondering if it's okay to question. And like, does mm -hmm. the process of questioning somehow like put me on the outside mm -hmm. until I get it sorted and then I can come back in or stay out, you know, as like, long as you sorted it correctly. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. yep. So what does even the desire to question mean? And does mm -hmm. that point to the fact that I'm really not with God until I get this figured out as if somehow you're going to get it figured out. Um, and, um, and that's, that's quite common. You know, mm -hmm. it's this almost this, this, and I've seen this look in people's faces. There's a scared sense of like, if I go down this road, I don't know, where I'll be at the end of it, and mm. is it okay for me to even be asking these questions? Um, and it's it, and it's and it's oftentimes just um, I, I find that people aren't questioning God as much as they're questioning you know their experience of God or their experience of God's people mm. or church or whatever else. Yeah. So so those uh, and and compartmentalizing that and 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 taking a minute to recognize that maybe that wasn't God that you experienced, maybe mm. that was something else. And how do you sort through that? Um, and, and, and kind of compartmentalize a little bit. But I think there's also, there's also various passages that get called into question a lot that, you know, so those, those hot button passages, then also passages that, that aren't necessarily what I would call hot button passages, but they tend to offer a promise from God that seems a little too fantastic, hmm. you know, like, um, I, I think of like out of, um, uh, Psalm, 
uh, what is it, Psalm 91, you know, uh, which is the famous song on Eagle's Wings. Mm-hmm. You know, that idea that, you know, you won't get sick, you won't, you know, he'll keep you from the fowler, you know, all these mm-hmm. things. He'll keep you from the, from death. You know, that was a big one during COVID. You know, mm-hmm. people, people wondering, like, if I really follow God, he'll keep right. me f- safe from disease and pestilence. Um, and so therefore, I mean, will we say that the people who got COVID were not faithful, right, you know, right. like there's yeah. all these, you know, you start uh, questioning that, uh, too far, it, it falls in on itself. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, but, but that's, but it says in Psalm 91 that, that, uh, you know, if, if he's your rock, mm-hmm. you know, he protects you from the disease that's affecting everybody else. Right. That's what it's, that's what it looks like. Right. So, so how, do, how, how do we come to terms with those things, um, that look as if, um, you know, if I really, can I really trust God for this promise? Mm-hmm. That seems a little bit too outlandish, hmm. um, especially the implications of trusting that promise, hmm. and then what that looks like, you know, based on my experience and, um, and yeah, really just those those things that that I thought I thought things were this way, but what I'm seeing is different. Hmm. And so, is it just false perspective? Is it is it is it? But oftentimes, almost always, it seems like there is some difficulty in how we're approaching the text and hmm. what we're expecting from Scripture. Um, and so therefore there's this thing that I was told the Bible said, or I thought the Bible said, or I've read and I'm interpreting in this particular way, that if I take that to be the way I thought or the way I'm reading it, um, I have a significant problem and I don't know what to do with it. Um, and yeah, that's been everything from, you know, evolution to women in ministry to mm-hmm. homosexuality to, um, you know, am, am I really trusting God if I get a vaccine? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. There's a lot there that I want to so yeah, take back your around take um, your and we will in a second, I, but I want to, I do want to kick the question over to you, Emily, um, in, from your perspective, in your spheres of influence in life and relationship, what do you hear people talking about? Um, uh, well, a lot of it will covered. But I, <laughs> I think I guess we're talking to the same people. Yeah, yeah maybe we, maybe we are. Um, I think specifically, there's been a lot more recently in the past couple of years of people learning that the things that they've been taught are mm. are wrong, like things that are they're taught. Are, this is sin. This is bad. This is you can't do this and be a Christian. They're either learning that the Bible doesn't say that or. Mm it doesn't say that very much. And it says a lot of other things way more often. Mm. And so then there's in having grown up in having grown up in Southern Indiana, it's like everybody I know grew up in evangelical culture. (laughs) So (laughs) everybody I know also, you know, knows all of the Bible verse songs that we knew the whole time. Mm -hmm. Like we knew growing up our whole lives. And so there are all, all these kind of like debates and seemingly, questions that have been answered Mm. that are kind of being opened up again. And it, I mean, in the most uninteresting way, it kind of just devolves into semantics of like, okay, but in the Greek, this means this. (laughs) It's like, okay, well, this is not what I don't care about. This (laughs) This is not helping me live my life right now. (laughs) Um, But I think a lot of people who have, who have to come to terms with the things they've been taught of what God wants for you, of what God wants you to do. And then their experience of, well, that's not happened. Um, there are these promises and I was told that's what this means. And my life hasn't turned out like that. So either you're wrong for telling me that like you've taught me incorrectly or all of this is wrong. And it kind of just is the coin flip in a lot of ways of like where people decide to land. If they decide 
to like, okay, I'm going to look into this more. I'm going to study. I'm going to be curious about this. Or I'm like, I'm done. I give up. I'm tired. And I would agree. I think those flagship verses are often a problem. You know, those, those passages that are like, this is the banner we wave Mm -hmm. for the reason why we do what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And then just a little bit of light shines on that verse and and you realize like, it has nothing to do with what it's talking about at all. (laughs) And you know, whether it's, I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know, we go on a lot of these, you know, um, go for it. But I mean, whether it's as harmless, I say harmless as like Philippians, you know, I can do all things through Christ. And you realize that's not talking about running a race. It's talking about, you know, surviving prison, mm-hmm. um, for the sake of Christ or, or even the way, you know, Paul, um, in as a Romans 10 uh, discussing, you know, like how will they believe if no one preaches to them, you know, as sort of that flagship, this is why we send missionaries. Um, when it's, Hey, hey, you're you're hitting a nerve here. <laughs> well, this is a missions organization. As long as you don't question our yeah, organizational verses. Oh, man, that was not in the script. Yeah, sorry, yeah, I'm going off script. We'll but, cut that out. Yeah, it's fine. There's an edit feature, right? Um, <laughs> fix it in post. But I think that there's a, you know, there's that. There's, there's you know, even our um, understandings of like, um, or our, um, uh, you know, I, I, for instance, you know, uh, when the Bible kind of commentates back on its own stories. Mm. You know, we kind of miss those commentaries and just read the stories. Like I think Sodom and Gomorrah is a great example. You know, when the prophets commentate on why God destroyed it, it's all about how they didn't take care of the poor. Mm. Um, and like, no one thinks about their lack of benevolence mm-hmm. as part of like the reasons for God's wrath. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's not what it's known for. So we, it's like, we only like, we cherry pick certain portions and we, 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 we lose its internal commentary or we, uh, cherry pick certain verses and lose the uh, even just the surrounding context of a few chapters. Mm. You know, uh, one of the primary verses that I was thinking of also as you were talking was uh, I think it's in Second Timothy. The idea of staying away from the very appearance of evil. Mm. You know, which is the whole reason I was told why you shouldn't drink alcohol when I was growing up, or you know, play pool or poker or any of those things that make you look like you're a seedy character. Um, <laughs> and the whole time that verse is talking about um, interpreting prophecy correctly. And, you know, the people that were telling me not to drink were cessationists. So <laughs> I think that we have, we have a breakdown here. In of multiple like, ways they were <laughs> Yeah, in many ways they were stopping a lot of things. Uh, but there's a breakdown of, of yeah. you know, just picking these, these themes, uh, these verses and saying, this is why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden someone who's thoughtful reads that passage, you know, because they really want to learn yeah. and, or they dive into it a little more and they realize, well, this is actually not what it's talking about at all. And so where does that leave me? Yeah. And, and then there's that crisis of, and I've experienced it myself, and I think most people will, is that, that uh, different, differentiation between recognizing the flaws of a ministry and the flaws of a teaching, mm-hmm. um, but yet the ability for God to utilize a flawed method to still reach me where I was. Mm-hmm. And so for that, I'm on one hand, um, you know, sad for some of the things that i that I've come to realize later maybe weren't quite so accurate, but also glad that and surprised and and um, overwhelmed by the fact that God was able to cut through a lot of a lot of unnecessary even and even at times just flat out wrong teaching mm-hmm. to still give me a faint picture of Christ that I found desirable. So something you said earlier, Will, that I think is important when it comes to this: how does this podcast connect on a personal level? You use that imagery of the first answer that you gave when we asked what are people talking about is you described the person who 
has sort of that look on their face of, am I even allowed to ask some of these questions? Yeah. Am I even allowed to doubt? And you use that word picture of like, do I have to step outside the circle, yeah. quote unquote, yep. to figure this out? And then depending on how I figure it out, am I allowed back? Am I allowed to enter back into the circle? I've been asked some version of that about three or four times in the last two months. So I'm, I'm curious. I, I want to hear more about that from your perspective, Will, but I am curious too, Emily, have you, have you picked up on that at all in, in again, like in your friend group or in any sort of church community that you've been a part of either currently or in the past or whatever? Like, is that something that when you heard Will describe that, you're like, yeah, I I've, either I've experienced that or I've felt that, or I've heard others articulate that same sort of thing, like maybe a hesitation or anxiety. And can I even express these doubts and questions? Mm -hmm. Am I, am I going to be allowed to quote unquote, stay in the club if Mm I am asking these questions or landing in a different place? Mm -hmm. Um, Curious your personal experience on that. Yeah. I think this might be a very weird thing to say. Okay, I I feel like doubt is my favorite part of faith Hmm. in the i don't think that's weird for what it's worth okay well phew (laughs) (laughs) i was really concerned i know you were concerned about (laughs) what i thought yeah but i think like for me personally it's really important to me to and like there are things i don't understand and it is so dishonest to myself in order to ignore that or pretend like I do understand. And I've just had to figure out ways to enjoy the not understanding. Yeah. Otherwise I think I would go insane. I think everybody would. Um, And I like, this has been a long process. I am super comfortable with not knowing things and with mystery and with like wondering. I feel like a lot of the times I am a Christian by like the skin of my teeth. (laughs) Mm. And I think in a lot of ways that is, faithfulness that's Mm -hmm. really hard um to understand and to describe but like sometimes i feel like the the only reason i'm a christian is because i i am somehow and like that is Mm. really rich to me and so i'm really frustrated when Mm -hmm. people don't give themselves that same freedom Mm -hmm. or grace there are so many times i've had conversations with people who are in church and we're talking about Uh, whatever you know church services or the bible or whatever and there's just like a really intense fear of making sure we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, no matter what we do Mm. but for me like if i can't take everything off the table Mm. and then look at things one by one then like that's you're not really doing anything Mm. you know you have to be willing to examine every part and question everything Mm. and if if you are too afraid that there aren't going to be answers, then oh, I don't, I don't want to be harsh. So maybe I should stop, but I'm like, <laughs> if you're too afraid to question anything, then I don't know how strong your faith is. Mm-hmm. Like to me, doubt is like the, the, some of the wisest people I've met or read are people who have doubted all, like mm-hmm. all their life. Um, and I find that a comforting <laughs> and be inspiring, yeah. honestly. Yeah, I think if someone um, doesn't admit that they've doubted, um, yeah, they're clearly not being honest with themselves or whatever. But I, I think uh, I'll say a couple things to that because I, I think I think on one hand, 
we have undermined under undermined under yeah sure undermined i don't know anyway we've neglected <laughs> to um to point out the immense amount of positive potential in doubt hmm. that's just there in scripture if we're kind of keeping it rooted in scripture and that and that debate you know because a lot of people that i've known that have been so very much like the bible says it that's it don't question it um well, that's that's fine and, and dandy, but we're not really pointing out. So I'll say two things: one, one, one positive, one, one negative about doubt. But I think on the positive end, we we we've we've completely diminished the positive potential in doubt. I mean, you don't have to get very far in the Psalms where you see mm-hmm. people saying, "I don't get this," and wrestling with it. And then there's several Psalms that don't, you know, or at least I'm thinking of one in particular that doesn't end in any resolution. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, you just stay where you're at and you don't have any answers. And even the ones that do end somewhat like, but I'm going to praise God anyway, doesn't necessarily end in an answer. They just end in a, well, I think where I'm standing is better than if I just gave up on God. So I guess I'll just stay here. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's, that, that's like Psalm 70 with three. So I, I think that there's, um, there's this sense of, uh, an immense amount of, I mean, I mean, I think about those Psalms in particular, like those are passages of scripture that wouldn't exist if someone had not doubted and questioned whether what they were seeing was actually consistent with who God was. Mm. And and then moving forward to the New Testament, I, I mean, I don't think any commentator is in, in disagreement that Thomas at the end of John makes the most, the largest statement of faith mm-hmm. toward Jesus, my Lord and my God. Um, and he's only really known for his doubting, right. not his confession of faith. Right. Um, and so you have the greatest doubter producing the greatest confession of faith in the, in the New Testament, or at least in the gospel stories. Um, and somehow we we we've we've minimized doubt to be something you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we minimize the fact that it actually produces scripture, and we minimize the fact that it produces the great a greater statement of faith than the other disciples who didn't doubt. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that that's a disservice mm-hmm. to the people in our Christian communities who are really wrestling with hard things and saying, um, I mean, <laughs> I mean Thomas even said like it wouldn't be enough just to see him. Like I'd actually need to stick my fingers in those hands, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. we're not giving Thomas's room to actually doubt and therefore come to greater positions of faith than if they just stuffed it and pretended like it wasn't a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side, I mean, obviously someone who walks away because of doubt or because of questioning, I mean, I think that sometimes we can be naive and, and not realize our own pride in the process. The idea that, that if I can't see a reason for something, there must not be one, you know, like it's very self-centered in many ways. Um, but, but I think that God's big enough to handle those questions. And I think that giving up, it is frustrating for me to see people walk away because they feel like, well, I'm not seeing a, you know, reason for this or reason for that. So therefore it's not, it's not worth it. Um, I I think that in in some ways it's, it's hiding a, a, a pride that we're blind to. And, and I, and I think that it would be better just to submit those questions and, and rest in the unknowing, you know, and be okay with the mystery. I think that's a much more humble place to be. Um, I mean, even even in the things that people, <laughs> this may be going into a different topic, but like, even when you get into those passages that that people like assume, like you mentioned, you know, hell, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, like like these these ideas of like fire or something, like we we take these these metaphors and these and these figures and these images, and we somehow re we remake that into like the the little interpretation of that thing, mm-hmm. um, and then all of a sudden when um, when, when there's a, 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 a real honest questioning of like, well, what is actually separation from God? Like, mm-hmm. and, and well, maybe it's not actual literal fire. Well, I was told it was only fire. And mm-hmm. so like, there's a breakdown of those things instead of sitting in this understanding that, 
you know, the closer we get to these higher divine realities, the further away we get from human words. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like in like when John's saying like the like uh, the likeness something like the likeness of a throne. <laughs> you know, it's like how much unlike a chair does it have to be to be just like the likeness of a throne? <laughs> um, and so our words fall short. Yeah. And so when we get too too hardlined on certain things, um, and then and then we we say this is how it has to be, and then we read something else that in, indicates that well it's not quite that way. Um, it's very difficult for us just to sit in the idea of saying, you know, I, I don't really know what this throne or whatever it is that's like the likeness of a throne yeah. in in heaven really is, and I'm just going to sit and recognize that God's on it, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, but it is in that. Um, I, I think it becomes more of an issue, you know, to make it less theological and more personal. I think it becomes more of an issue in in in, in times of suffering and pain and difficulty, and when people are really not able to see God's purpose for something, and they were they were fed a promise that said, if you're faithful, God, God protects you, or this isn't what God wants for you. And so, um, you know, all the, I think, I think for me, most of the real, there's a lot of theological questions that come Mm -hmm. across my desk, but I think most of the real hard ones are the personal questions Mm -hmm. of, I was told that if I had enough faith, God would heal this person, or I was Mm -hmm. told if I did these things, you know, um, or the, or, or people think that they're being punished for past sins, Mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of things that I think, um, they've been kind of fed a narrative from scripture to justify right. and then life experience says something else and what they're seeing in front of them is very different. Now that could just be an issue of perception and pride and, and that needs to be flushed out and dealt with at a hard level. Or it may be that what they were fed was a misrepresentation of the intention mm-hmm. of God's word. And that to me is, it's much easier to deal with someone who's just uh, not perceiving life very well. Mm-hmm. You know, you ride that wave, you get through it, you recognize your own pride, your inability to kind of distill what's in front of you from what you know to be true on the other side of it, um, and realize that my perception is skewed because of this thing. But it's a vastly different, and I think more even, uh, I could even say abusive mm-hmm. tactic of feeding someone a false version of reality, and then when they fail, blaming them for not having enough faith, mm-hmm. uh, which... I think that's another issue that's come up several times. So I think one of the, one of the personal things to take from the last few seconds of what both of you said is if there is a listener who maybe has not felt either the internal and or the external permission Mm -hmm. to allow themselves to, to ask questions or to f- even to feel discord, you know, to yeah. feel like, man, I thought scripture said X, but something completely opposite is happening. Yeah. What the heck, you know, to, yeah. to even like be able to, f- to allow themselves to feel that tension, um, to feel that, uh, that sense of it's not resolved. Yeah. Um, I think whoever, you know, whoever's listening that I would hope that they would feel a sense of, of safety and permission. Um, but then also knowing and this is kind of what you both said in your own ways, like that, that doubt and that tension can actually ultimately lead to a more, um, richer and deeper type of faith than maybe. I would go so far as to say that I don't think you will reach a deeper level of faith unless you wrestle with God on those things that are important to you. Um, yeah. And I, I think that that is, I think one of the more frustrating parts of the people who pound the Bible the hardest and say, don't doubt. Yeah. Uh, forget about all the sections of scripture where we're, you know, that, that are there for us to even see a vision of what it looks like to question in a healthy way and in yeah. a grounded way, a way that's not so 
washed aside by you know from one one side to another but actually is no i'm i'm here and i'm questioning these things mm-hmm. and i'm doubting in a way that's very grounded and intentional mm-hmm. because it's okay to question it's okay to to wrestle with this and um yeah this is where i'm at and i'm honest about that and i think we it's really a disservice to to, to minimize that because i don't think we'll reach the depths of of God's even God's grace, mm-hmm. even if we go back to that Psalm uh, seventy three, I think passage when he's like, through the process of my doubting, I was like a beast toward God, mm-hmm. but you know he was with me the whole time. I think that sometimes there's a what I was mentioning about the questioning whether it's okay to question, is really that in of itself is questioning whether God's going to be there with me through this process and be there on the other side, and so in that sense, sometimes the most faithful thing we can do is engage in our doubts and wrestle with them um that doubting itself may be the most faithful option and that refusing to doubt may be because we don't trust that god will be there for us at the end which is in some ways a lack of faith so i'm going to skip around a little bit because there's stuff there's stuff that you mentioned that i want to make sure we come back to you but i'm rather th- holding i'm sorry you already no you already uh sort of jumped down to something um and and it's very much connected to what we were just talking about uh, you actually mentioned this phrase and, and growing up, I kind of joke about this now, but it is actually a, a pretty uh, good picture of what we're talking about. I had a sweatshirt that says a little kid that yeah. said, God said it, that settles it. Right. So like that gives you a picture yeah, of the very Christian bold. culture I grew up in. Is there, what do you think about this uh, phrase that's becoming a little bit more common in some theological circles of, I'm going to say, say it wrong, but Bibleolatry. Hmm. The idea uh, that we can potentially elevate scripture or, or yeah, th- this idea that we can elevate scripture to a place that it doesn't belong. Sure. That there can be this, in a sense, idolatry mm-hmm. of scripture. Like even just saying that eight-year-old Ben is just dying on the inside. <laughs> um, what do you think of that? Like, what do you, uh, uh, do you think that there, that that can be a thing? Do you think that this, mindset of the Bible says it, that se- that settles it, you know. Oh, sweatshirt. I think for sure that's a thing. I, I, I almost once had coffee thrown on me for, for, for <laughs> suggesting that um, the, <laughs> even saying it out loud now, it's, now it's kind of crazy, but I said, um, I don't believe the Bible is the truth. I believe it is a testimony to the truth and Jesus is truth because um, okay. the Bible is a testimony to who God is and it's a testimony ultimately to Jesus uh, as a whole, Old Testament, New Testament. Yep. It's a story that points, I believe, in continuity to Christ. Ben is reaching for his coffee to throw it on. <laughs> Where, is, Where is it? <laughs> but but yeah, so so it's not like the truth in the sense of like elevating it to the place of Christ, who is the truth. We have to yeah. honor scripture as a pointer to and a, um, and a testimony to the truth. But um, the minute we begin to say that the Bible is the truth, is the minute we take a term away from Christ and attach it to Scripture, and I always, and I think that's much more egregious than than um, I would. Oh, this is hard to say. I'd rather make <laughs> I'd rather risk making less of Scripture than making less of Jesus, as if Maybe that's good. And I and I I'm think glad that, you said that. That's well, what you should have on a sweatshirt instead. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that um, I think that that's problematic because if people equate those things, you know, and I think it really becomes an issue of the mis- misinterpretation of John one. And I said the word was God and the word was with God. And, okay, talk about that. Well, I, I mean, oh, goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> uh, last time I did a sermon on this, I quoted Einstein. Um, okay, so <laughs> I, I think that um, there is a, um, um, 
there's a there's a there's a question, and that is what is the word the or logos in in the Greek? It's there. Wh- wh- who is that? And is that Christ or is that Scripture? Is that the Bible? And I think that there is a differentiation between a denominational um, or or a church tradition. One group would ar- ar- articulate that that the that the word was with God. Scripture itself was with God, and 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 sort of was from God, um, and even is God Himself. I think that's an egregious misrepresentation of that passage, which clearly goes on to say that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, I mean, I don't understand how in context you can misunderstand that it's not Jesus. But I do think that there, sorry, that's probably very, (laughs) very uh, inappropriate. But I I think that there is clearly a differentiating line there between what is the word of God, what is the testimony of God ultimately in this world, and, and the pinnacle of that is Christ. Before that, I would say the best thing we've got is Scripture. And then we have Christ, and now something better has come along, right? But I think that uh, because the, you know the prophets testified to him, and and that's what Scripture points to. But I think that um, we have to see Jesus as the pinnacle of what of who uh, of, of of truth personified, and and that's not uh, Scripture. Uh, that's Christ. And so I think that anytime we begin to elevate Scripture um, to that level of of worship, that we could, yeah, we could definitely make that error. Um, cause I think that another thing, but I think one thing that's a higher risk for the people that I know and the people that I've grown up with is not the risk of idolizing scripture as on par with God, but, um, personalizing scripture to the point to where we forget that it wasn't written to us, but it was written to someone else. And now we are handed down this, this, these truths through generations, but before God's word was God's word to us, it was God's word to them. And can we take that moment to where we're not saying, God's saying this to me, you know, but we realize that God spoke this into human history and we get to see this and this is amazing. Um, but if it's God's word to these people before it was God's word to us and myself and, and sort of that, that depersonalization, um, it's almost like, it's like that part in the beginning of Ephesians or Paul in the beginning of Ephesians is chapter one is all that stuff about how he, you know, predestined these people for his glory and all this stuff. He's talking about the Jews for like 13 verses or something. And then somewhere around like 113, somewhere in there, one, I don't know where it is. You guys can look it up. Um, <laughs> but, and he's like, and so you now Greeks, basically now you people too are brought into this covenantal reality of what God's doing. I think it's verse 13 of chapter one, uh, before he goes on to pray for them in Ephesus. And, and I think that this is very difficult as we want to read the beginning of chapter one. It's just about me. And for one thing, it's all plural, you know, which is a problem. It's all <laughs> y'alls. But anyway, it's all about what God's done through the Jews and his chosen people. And then now, because the gospel spilled over the banks of Israel, you too can be a part of this thing that he's he's been doing since the beginning, you know, before creation. And I think that that recognition of even in that particular passage, like before, and that, for me, that makes it so much more sweeter that I'm now brought in because of Christ. I've been grafted into something that by birth I, I have no I have no claim to, you know, by nationality I have no claim to, but just because of Jesus, I, I now get to be a part of this great thing Paul's describing. Um, and, but I have to, in some ways, so, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel like so many people, like, they if things go really sideways when it's like, this is God's love letter to me. You know, it's like, I don't like, think Jesus it is. is my boyfriend. Yeah, that's right. Like, I don't think it is. Um, I think it was God's word spoken into human history to a particular group of people. And now we're reading it. Yeah. Very far removed. And a lot of the truth and a lot of the intentions remain, but 
Um, I need to see it as true for them and then ask, am I a part of that? Am I, am I on, am I in that story too? Uh, otherwise, you know, I know you're in the risk of reading it almost like a piece of like detached literature. And I, I don't mean that I, I, but, but I, I do mean not over personalizing it or over idolatrize that making it more than what it is, you know, making yeah. it equal to God. But, but no, I, 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 I want to know more than a page. Yeah. I, I, I want to know the spirit in my life and, and in, you know, in my midst, I, I don't just want to know words on a page, but these words on a page, I think were God given to these people. And, and now I can glean the same intention from my own life, but it's just, it's just a few steps in the process that I think make it sweeter. So one of my uh, best friends is converting to orthodoxy. So she's become an orthodox Christianity. Oh, sweet. Orthodox Christian. Um, and it's super interesting to me because I'm like really into that aesthetically. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so yeah. I've been, she's been talking about it a lot, um, all the different teachings and the things that are different. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to look into it and read it just because I'm curious. And I was looking up like, okay, so what is orthodox view of scripture? Mm-hmm. Um, is, is it different? I'm sure it's different than evangelicals. <laughs> views because it seems like everything is different from evangelical views with orthodoxy but the and i don't know if this is an accurate representation of which orthodox church because even then it's right different but Mm. the things that i had read was viewing scripture as a thing that supports the church community Mm. like faith is worship and it's something you do it's the life you live in the community you do it in and scripture is there to help you do that it is not the thing that you worship. It's mm. not something that is um, like a guidebook. It's not something you can like ask a question and open like a magic eight ball and mm-hmm. say, okay, well, this is what God wants me to do. And they even, <laughs> in the article I was reading, there's a point of like, this is something you read in community. Mm. Like, yes, a God speaks to your heart. The Holy Spirit is in you individually. But first and foremost, First and foremost, the church is a communal activity. Mm-hmm. And this is something we read and talk about together yep. um, as opposed to a thing that you you aim to a- attain mm-hmm. in a sense. I feel yeah. like in a lot of ways we we talk about like the biblical life as like this this thing that the Bible portrays perfectly and that we are meant to live up to. Yeah. And then you read like one story and you're like, okay, well, that can't be true. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I agree with you. I think that there is a um, scripture is meant to be read in community. You know, I think uh, I had a conversation with someone a couple months ago. They were really down on themselves because they feel like they used to do a quiet time every morning. You know, they read like a psalm or they'd read a, you know, whatever part of the gospel. They were going through the Bible or something. I don't know what they were doing. Anyway, point is, is that I, they were beating themselves up about the fact that they stopped doing this. And they realized like my spiritual life is not what it should be because I've, I've abandoned my daily Bible reading. And I, I just said, well, 200 years ago, that wouldn't even been an option. And like, what do you mean? I was like, well, like no one had Bibles at home, Mm -hmm. you know, like unless you were like really wealthy or something like, but like, unless you're some like, you know, uh, uh, aristocratic royal here, you're not going to have any Bible sitting on your shelf. Um, you, you were forced to gather with other people and share a Bible. And so, uh, the Bible, if anything was, was if you wanted to learn it, you were drawn into community to process it together. Um, and the fact that you can't get away into your prayer closet and read scripture is, I mean, quite a modern phenomenon mm. and and maybe and even a regional and Western phenomenon. I was phenomenon. just going to say, I mean, yeah. 
we work in places where there's people who don't have that privilege right. as well. You and know, so they're beating themselves up yeah. over a over a spiritual practice that, I mean, maybe we could argue most of the Christians in, in the world can't actually mm-hmm. follow through on, that they're dependent on God to meet them where they are and to engage in Scripture in communal settings. Um, and I think that historically that's been the process of engaging in Scripture. And that kind of, for, for me anyway, plays into that hyper-personalization of Scripture, that I only read the use as singular. I don't see them as communal reality. Uh, I see them only as, you know, and it's, it's not like, um, you know, you all should be doing this. It's yeah. I should be doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, yeah, it definitely skews things up. And I think the Eastern, or I don't know if it's Eastern Orthodox or whichever, but I think most Orthodox approaches um, if, if I would just say a, a moment of, 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 of gratitude to them, because I think that they do a couple things well, very well, a lot better than American evangelicalism, but I think they often hold, uh, uh, a creation at a level of honor mm. that I think we typically don't because we've elevated scripture. We don't elevate mm. God's revelation and creation at the same level that they do. Um, and I think, and that has always blessed me to be able to read some of those writings and just be reminded when I walk outside and hear the birds that, there's actually, in some ways, a revelation that I can see, and and um, his divine attributes have been made on display in front of me, no matter where I go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a that's an orthodox thing that I think uh, we we could definitely benefit from, and the focus on community over individual, I think, is a amazing amazing takeaway. And I think also there's a, something that often orthodox traditions do that I think that scripture does as well, which is move in and out of the figurative and 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 the literal almost interchangeably, you know, to where like we're saying these things, we're using these terms, um, we mean this kind of spiritual reality, um, but then we're going back to the, you know, it's 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 like, um, it, it, it's definitely true of like the old early church fathers used mm-hmm. to do that a lot, where they would, they would write about, um, you know, baptism, and like go on and on about how like water does all these things to us, but like what they mean is like the cleansing power of God's forgiveness, but they keep using these images, right. mm-hmm. and they'll go back and forth between forgiveness and water, almost like interchangeably, as if, it's like, but it's, it's not the water, but the water is the image that's being used. And like this, it's just so beautiful and poetic and, and, and it's full of imagery that, um, I think we, you know, it's like, well, no, am I, is, is, is it, is it the water? So you're saying so you the water forgives mm-hmm. me? Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. These are images. You're yeah. supposed to fall into the word picture and, and, and kind of see this with me, yeah. you know, um, and, 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 and recognize the way this kind of, you know, works in your imagination. And the minute you say imagination, you lose a lot of people as well. <laughs> Thanks for listening to part one of our two-part series with Will. Make sure you listen to part two when it drops next month, and we'll talk more specifically about what kinds of things we need to keep in mind as we read the Bible and how to address some of the passages that tend to be a little controversial. Perspectives Unsettled wouldn't be possible without support from Basecamp. Basecamp is Uncharted's community for people who are passionate about seeing discipleship multiplication happen in overlooked and unreached places. You can join the Basecamp community by going to unchartedinternational.org give and signing up for monthly recurring donations. 